Stop that now. It's just annoying, isn't it? Welcome to the Justice and Coffee Christmas Podcast Special. I hope you're feeling festive. Can you believe it? It's almost Christmas. It's almost the end of another year. Sorry, I'm going to have to stop those sleigh bells. That is irritating. So in true festive fashion, I'm going to give you a double helping. Yes, that's right. You're getting two for the price of one. Firstly, we've got Esther Hope from Manumit Coffee Roasters coming in to tell us about what they do. I'll give you a clue. Manumit in the Latin means to be released from slavery, to be set free. So they are actually the other anti-human trafficking coffee company in the UK, or rather the original. Um, They got to market way before us. They are our inspiration in many ways at Blue Bear. They're the trailblazers, and we are flying in their jet stream. So Esther's going to tell you all about that. Next to her on the sofa is Charlotte Instone, the CEO and founder of Know the Origin. Charlotte was named earlier this year in the Forbes Top 30 Under 30 of Young Entrepreneurial Talents, or words to that effect. How impressive is that? Charlotte's going to tell us about how she set up her company, why she set up her company, and what we as consumers need to be conscious of when we're buying our goods. Does that make sense? Would that be good for Christmas? So why not pour yourself a cup of coffee, pop a couple of mince pies in the microwave, warm them up nice and good, settle down on the sofa and listen to the Justice and Coffee podcast Christmas special. So, welcome to the Justice and Coffee podcast, Esther and Charlotte. Hello, thanks Thanks for having us. It's so good to have you here. It's beginning to look a lot like Don't Christmas. Don't do it. It's not December yet. <laughs> so this is our Christmas special. I was thinking, you know, because this obviously we're recording, what day is it today? 30, 30th of November? 30th, yeah. So we'll maybe put this next week. Mm-hmm. So we're into December, like now, when people are listening to it, if they're listening to it. When we Woo, re- Christmas. Thank you, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not like an August. I have got a, like, Santa hat on. Yeah, so I'm feeling the vibe. You You've dressed up for um, for radio. <laughs> yes, dressed up. You can all see my amazing Santa hat. The idea of the show today, with Christmas just round the corner, yeah. is to just to introduce the world that we are reaching um, with two examples of brilliant ethical brands. So mm-hmm. I want to talk about what you do, who you are, what you represent. But before we get into that, it's morning time. Yeah, we've both we've all had long weeks. Mm-hmm. Charlotte, you just said um, you before we started recording, you were up at four thirty having breakfast this morning. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's all about coffee now, isn't it? Like this is the time of day when you just got to get that fuel into you. Mm-hmm. At least two to become a functional human being. Yes. So when you say two, do you mean like back to back or like a double shot? Yeah, like I'm not even sorry about it. <laughs> I definitely have two before I become a nice person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you go for? Do you do milky coffee or black coffee? Or 
uh, the strong stuff initially, mm-hmm. and then we might add milk when I'm feeling guilty about how many I've drank. <laughs> Esther, I imagine the fact that you run a coffee company yeah. suggests that you're probably a big consumer. Oh my gosh, yeah, I love I just love drinking coffee. <laughs> Some days I get through and I'm like, do you know what? I just have not drank water today, except water that's been infiltrated with coffee. <laughs> <laughs> so in the morning I normally make like, um, I have my recipe that I make and it's normally 800 ml of coffee. Right. 800 ml of coffee? Yeah. Right. Like, and I will get through that in the first hour. Wow. Like, and then that's nearly a litre of coffee. That's that a I lot, drink. yeah. So yeah. like a can... Of like soft drinks. Edging like on f- addiction. Yeah. Wow. It's like 300 mils. So that's over double. That's like over yeah. two cans of coffee. Yeah. In the morning. Wow. And then more as I go on throughout the day. Good effort. And then sometimes, <laughs> oh my gosh, at the roastery, sometimes we put on like a batch brew, which is a few litres. And there'll only be like two or three of us in there. And we'll get through like two litres. And then I ask everyone how many cups they've had. And they're like, oh, one or two. And then it's empty. And I realise that I'm the one that has drank the nearly full <laughs> two litres of yeah. coffee. No one came to work today. How did that yeah. <laughs> So, I know about your coffee drinking habits. Yeah. Kind of. Today we've got flat white. It's not Manumit coffee. It's not Blue Bear coffee. It's the coffee shop over the road from the studio. Yeah, it's Dark Arts coffee, actually, which is pretty is, good is stuff. Is it good stuff? Mm-hmm. Well, let's not promote them. They're not supporting this, are they? But, no, we're... I mean, it's rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all good. It's nice. The idea was that we were going to drink our own coffee, but we forgot yeah. to bring some sort of utensil that was going to yeah. allow that. I bought some ground coffee with me, but nothing to make but it no with. But no means of distributing it. <laughs> Manumit coffee, Esther. Yes. What is it? Tell me about it, please. So, um, we are coffee lovers, obviously, and um, it all started because there's this charity in um, Wales called Red Community that works with survivors of trafficking. And so uh, they basically pair up a survivor of trafficking with someone in the local community and they do a befriending project. So they literally just meet up once a week for coffee or to go swimming or just to help the um, survivor integrate into local community. And then um, the people who were befriending were realising that actually when they got their visas and the leave to remain, which takes a few years, yeah. um, these people were going back into jobs and either quitting or being fired within the first week because of mental health problems yeah. and um, they just couldn't take on full-time work straight away. And then also the other side of it was some of them weren't being able to get jobs at all because if you've come out of trafficking, you've got a big gap on your CV or potentially you've never had another job before and you don't want to put on yes. your CV, I was enslaved for 10 years yeah. or um, I worked in the sex industry for the past 15 years. So we were like, how do we get them something to put on their CV? Yeah. And so we combined our love for coffee with our idea of creating employment and um, decided at first we thought maybe we should set up a coffee shop Um And so we looked into that, but then someone said to us, well, actually, that's not a very safe space for people who have been enslaved. And also, if you've ever worked in a coffee shop and you know you've got Karen who comes in and she wants like a half shot soya milk with extra hot, like 
um, vanilla syrup <laughs> and um, whipped cream that's not soya milk. And now, I want it yeah, now. Yeah, she wants it immediately. Yeah. And your survivor starts having a panic attack and just doesn't know what to do. And then Karen's going to ask for the manager because she always does. And it's just not a safe space for them to be able to calm down during that panic attack. Yeah. Whereas in the roastery, we've got like a, our location, which is really like secret. It's like MI5 style. No one knows where we are. Our address isn't online or anything. And we don't have signs outside. Mm. Um, they can come to work and know that they're not going to be bothered. No one's going to know where they are or come looking for them because some of them do still have like the police cases ongoing so they've got their traffickers looking for them oh, wow. and so having that space where they can come to work and feel safe and start to build up their confidence is really important yeah what an amazing initiative mm -hmm. i first came to hear about manumit when i got back um from a, a bit of time in the Dominican Republic working for an anti-human trafficking charity and I had this idea of a coffee company. Let's use coffee. Coffee is a mm. perfect vehicle if we're going to build a business that's going to raise awareness and raise capital to invest in effective charities working to, to combat human trafficking. Why mm. would you use coffee? So I did my Google search. I thought, I wonder how many coffee companies are doing this. Mm -hmm. And uh, I found one. And yeah, literally. was you guys. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I jumped on a bus, a National Express, yes. and uh, to reduce my carbon footprint, mm -hmm. because I'm extremely conscientious, yes. and um, made my way to Cardiff and mm -hmm. met you and, and, and Di and the team, and I just thought, wow, these guys are absolutely flipping brilliant. So it's absolutely a, a pleasure of mine to bring you onto the podcast. I was so yeah. keen of just to get you, give you an opportunity to talk, tell your story. And Thank I, you. I think it's brilliant. So I don't see you as a competitor, as the yeah. only other anti-slavery <laughs> coffee company in, in the UK. Um, I think you're brilliant. And coffee's great too. Thank you very what, much. What are you doing at the moment, coffee? You've got a couple of blends or varieties, mm. haven't you? So um, we've got quite a lot going on, really. We, we work really hard to make sure that our supply chain is really traceable and transparent as well. Mm. There's no point us helping survivors of slavery in Wales if the people that are picking the cherries aren't being paid properly like it would just be a joke so Agreed. we've worked really hard to make sure that we um yeah import our coffee well and so a lot of our coffee comes from Zukukabora in Uganda, which is an organisation trying to help people lift themselves out of poverty through growing coffee. So it's actually a bit of a crisis going on at the moment with the coffee market, where um, the cost of coffee on the commodity trade market is um, zero, 0 0.9. Why am I talking like that? Is 90 pence... 90, 90 cents. 90 cents per pound. Right. That's but the extremely cost, cheap. The cost of production is $1.80. So, so they're selling at a loss. So, yeah, they're losing half of the money. They're investing and paying yeah. for us to be able to have coffee at a cheap price, which is just absolutely outrageous. Why yeah. would we ever expect a business to run like that? Yeah. So in Uganda, people were literally digging up their coffee trees and just throwing them away because oh, they're wow. thinking what is the point in us even growing this anymore? It's just, it's like eating our money. Yeah. So um, they were like, we can just grow something that we can eat instead, like plantain or bananas mm. or avocados, which are very cheap in Uganda, by the way, and delicious. So then um, this company stepped in and was like, 
or they are a charity actually, they stepped in and said, if we can help regulate the cost of the coffee that these farmers are being paid, maybe we can encourage them to grow it and um, make sure that they're making money out of it and yeah. that it's sustainable and that people are paid properly. So that's what they did. And my business partner, Nick, has actually been out there for about three months now helping them with their wow. business plan. Well, three months in duration, start to finish. Yeah, he's he's time. still there. He's he left in October and he's coming back in December and then wow. going back next in January to help them out again, helping them with the business plan and like growth so that they can um expand and help more people because the thing is we can um we can help like five or six survivors at the moment in our space, but at the origin of the coffee they're helping thousands of yeah. people in that community yeah. to, um, yeah, just grow sustainably and um, improve livelihoods and educate children and anti-trafficking projects are going on in that community and things like that. So, um, yeah, Nick, my business partner, is really passionate in helping them grow their business and help more people in that way. So that's really, really cool. That is extremely cool. So you can find all of our Ugandan coffee on the website. We've got like a washed coffee, a honey coffee and a natural coffee, which is the different processes. So it kind of gives them a um, different flavour profile to your classic ones. So if you're feeling a bit um, adventurous or you have that coffee lover in your life, who wants something a bit different, yeah. then definitely check those out. And what an amazing Christmas present they would make, right? Yeah, exactly. It's funny, you said um, just before we started recording about going on a on a, an event, an anti-trafficking event, mm. and bringing your brand to it, bringing your coffee to it, and even having a, a, like a sales stand. Yeah. Well, telling your story. Yeah, no <laughs> tell. <laughs> just trying to protect the brand of the charity. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, someone also on that, that demonstration, that walk... Yeah. So oh, that looks great, but it's a bit expensive for me. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, well, actually, no. You know, the reason it costs that is yeah. because we're paying the right price for yeah. it. And we've got to educate people, haven't mm-hmm. we, that, that getting things cheap isn't always a great idea. Exactly. Cheap. What I always say when things are cheap, someone else is paying the cost. Yeah. Like, for example, with the coffee market price, it's like, yeah, you can get coffee that cheap, but the farmer is literally paying the cost of production on our behalf which is outrageous you would never expect a business to work like that here and we like coffee farmers are it is a business isn't it and you want them not only to cover the cost of um production but the cost of living Mm. is important but even more than that for a business to be sustainable it has to make profit like you wouldn't expect a business in the uk to run just turning over, yeah, for the first couple of years, but the goal is to make profit yeah. and grow the business. And so why are we expecting coffee farmers to just about survive yeah. when they should be having the business to make money and build a life yeah. for themselves and yeah. have that profit? Well, it's exactly in those circumstances when you're when the coffee market's in a place or when there's a commodity that's being that costs more money to produce than to mm. sell that those are the circumstances that incubate human trafficking exactly and if i can't afford to pay my <laughs> staff then well i have to enslave them yeah so yeah we need to be conscious of that so thanks mm-hmm. for bringing that to our attention yes. charlotte yeah. no the origin charlotte instone 
Forbes, 30 under 30. Literally. Entrepreneur. Superstar, next winner of The Apprentice, whenever... I won't be going on The Apprentice, <laughs> ever. <laughs> Bit too much egos on there. <laughs> Can Tell I just me. say, Charlotte oh. is absolute goals, though. In terms goals. of me, like, she is my hero. Like, I see Charlotte as, like, Guys. businesswoman goals. Yeah. <laughs> Gonna Ooh, cry. <laughs> yeah, incredibly impressive, slightly intimidating. I sat down with Charlotte once. We went both speaking at an event. Excuse me, I'm getting through my porridge. And, um, yeah, we went for lunch, didn't we, Charlotte, after this event, and she sort of made a lot of very kind but observational suggestions of what I should be doing with my <laughs> business to improve it. <laughs> it sort of came away like, I'm useless. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I really, like, that was the opposite of what I no, wanted to happen. No. I was literally like, this is phenomenal. <laughs> I just get really excited by ideas, and mm-hmm. then I just, like verbally vomit all of yes. that and then somebody's like wow that was a lot <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so many things I'm not doing yeah <laughs> tell me about Know the Origin actually tell me the origin of Know the Origin Ooh, where did it start great question <laughs> do you want a mint spine by the way I'm sort of hoarding them over here I couldn't um, did notice that I like them <laughs> yeah. hot they're better hot aren't they but I couldn't find a means of oh, this is so them. festive Oh, my gosh, my mum would be so proud. I'll have a clean-up afterwards, don't worry about the mess. Yeah, tell me about how it all started, Charlotte. Um, So, Know the Origin started... I keep telling people, like, a couple of years ago, and time's just going really fast. It's actually, Mm -hmm. like, four years ago. Okay. um, Which is slightly terrifying, getting old, ageing. Ah! (laughs) Um, (laughs) Another subject. Yeah, another subject (laughs) that we'll talk about later. (laughs) Um, So, I started... had the idea for Know the Origin... When I was at university, I was studying fashion buying and merchandising at London College of Fashion. So it's basically the degree where um, you become a very niche job afterwards, like you become a fashion buyer. Um, I went with the intention of coming out and getting a job at like Macy's or Bloomingdale's, Mm -hmm. like living in the big city, like making products. Oh, you wanted to live in the US? Yeah. um, And... Basically, while I was at university, I befriended this girl who was um, a raging vegan and she was really passionate about all the things that I was, social Mm. justice. Um, But for her, it translated into like food and where things had come from. And I'd heard of the term sweatshop in fashion, but Mm. hadn't really actually thought about how it links to our job. We were... um, trained at university on how to like push down prices and how to negotiate with suppliers and factories but never actually really taught to think about the people that we, mm. we were impacting in those decision making mm. um, and while I was at university she basically gave me this book that was Safia Mini's book um, called Naked Fashion and I read the whole thing in like a day which has never happened to me before <laughs> because I pick up books and then I just have like 20 on the go and never mm-hmm. finish any yeah. of them um, and I finished this book and I just thought, oh my gosh, what am I doing? And realised oh, I just spent like 54 grand on a degree wow. in a really niche area that I didn't want to do, mm-hmm. which is every parent's absolute dream. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I started getting really interested in ethical fashion. At university, I was the really annoying one that every lecturer would like ask questions and then I'd oh, get asked not to that leave. One. Or, like... Come on, we could have finished by <laughs> yeah, now. Yeah, literally. Um, and I remember we had like a talk where there was, um, it was like head of buying from a, a large uh, 
ethical kind of retailer. Mm -hmm. They're like doing more than a lot of people are. And I remember um, somebody asked the question, oh, what happens if you place an order and you can't and that those items aren't selling? Like, what do you do? And she was like, oh, you can cancel the order or move suppliers, like all this stuff. And I was like, well, what about that community? What Mm. about those people? And I just kept asking these questions and she got more and more uncomfortable. And (laughs) I, I was like asked to leave the lecture, basically. Oh, my word. And, like, I remember just being sat outside and just... I, I'm, like, a goody two-shoes. I've never received attention in my life. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so this was... I was like, oh, no, like, what am I doing? Um, did you cry? I did, actually. Yeah. And I'm not even embarrassed sounded about like, it. It sounded like a crying story. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, yeah, I the more I kind of looked into ethical fashion... It, once you know a little bit, it's like a dark hole. There's just mm. so much there that you don't even realise. And um, so I became a bit obsessive with this issue and I started an ethical fashion show in London. Um, so out of my university room, because it was kind of ridiculous. We only had like 10 hours of lectures a week. Mm. So in all this other time, I just basically spent on like doing this fundraiser. Um, so I worked on a project in Tanzania working with women um, that had basically... Uh, either been trafficked or were like vulnerable in the community and it was like a textiles project and um, we raised enough to basically work with local partners in Tanzania to build this workshop so ever, like all the women wow. in the community could like come together and I think that was when I really realised like how much you can do with wow. like the influence and the privilege that you have yeah. um, and I just really didn't want to work as a fashion buyer um, <laughs> I was like pretty sure that I wanted to do anything but that um, so I started looking for ethical brands that I could work for and just realised that they were all just really expensive, really gross, like mm. itchy looking or like, um, yeah, just not very fashiony. Um, and I had worked in my first year of uni at ASOS and various different fashion brands. And I just love that. Like I love creativity and mm. love fashion um, and don't believe that just because you're doing it properly and paying people, you should compromise on those things. Um so I just looked at starting my own brand. Um, I went out for my dissertation to Bangladesh and looked at um, if the whole fashion industry wanted to go ethical, could it? And what are the like, benchmarks um, that would basically stop it? Because wow. um, at the moment, like 0.4% of the clothing that we buy in the UK hair street is ethical. Whoa. Um, right, let's get that statistic again. 0.4% yeah. of the clothing we buy in the UK high street is in ethically the UK. sourced. Yeah, exactly. That is so I just looked at actually if the whole industry wanted to go ethical, could it? Mm. And what are the things that are stopping it? Um, so I visited over like 150 different producer groups, so from cotton farmers to ginners, spinners, knitters, dyers, wow. um, and just really understood like the depth of mm. fashion supply chains and the kind of this whole model of like outsourcing and how many literally hundreds of people are involved in like the making of one t-shirt um and just really began to question how we're making it for so cheap um i spent quite a lot of time while i was in bangladesh um there was basically a, a factory that collapsed called rana plaza mm. um, what was that 2013 yeah um in savar and basically like over 1,100 people died in this factory collapse and over 2,500 people were trapped in the rubble. And oh during this time, I, yeah, like sitting with the women that had been 
affected by that and mm. like them telling me their story of how um you know they'd had to wait for compensation and like hadn't received anything and as a result had had to choose which child to traffic oh my word. because they were they had no money like mm. they were blacklisted from working in any other garment factory because they had post-traumatic stress because after being trapped in the rubble for a few yeah. days like you would have yeah. that like and it yeah just really realizing like every single thing that we do has a huge consequence mm. and whether we see it or we don't like it does yeah um so I started looking at uh people that were doing things really differently so like a lot of fair trade and organic cooperatives um, so I started building that supply chain in India because we could get like super traceable fabrics. Um, I raised a little bit of money initially to is start. Is this during your image. studies or after your studies? Um, so this is like during, wow. um, and the first year after, I moved in after university and moved um, out of London, moved back in with my parents. Again, every parent's dream, I every think graduate's we've dream. All done that at some that point. is like the business owners. Like, yeah. I've had to move back in with my parents as well to save money in running the business. Yeah. yeah. And I remember I just camped her out in this like little side bedroom that was like, you know, the box room of the house, mm -hmm. just writing this business plan and um, just showed it to every single person that I knew and became like obsessive with it. And <laughs> It was brutal feedback from every single person, and I remember just being like, "Should I even do this?" Um, and brutal in, in what sense? This um, is not realistic. This is impossible. Yeah, like no one's done this. Like, why are you trying to do it? Right. Like, why don't you just start with like one part of the business being ethical, and then like grow, mm. to, like, and add bits in? And for me, I just really feel like the more the more compromise or like gray space that you leave in a business, like the more it can be like filtered down mm. and I yeah just really wanted to build a brand that was really different um so initially the brand started off with the name um Coalesque which was basically about bringing people back together um no one could spell it I couldn't say it um mm -hmm. I definitely couldn't spell it so we then kind of <laughs> we realized a few months in that the focus was more around like transparency um, and that was like the real core of the business. So then um, I came up with a spreadsheet of like over 100 names and know <laughs> the origin was the oh, one right. that won. Yeah. <laughs> what do nice. you mean one? You put that out for public opinion, did you? Amongst your friends and your network? Everyone. <laughs> Everyone received School. a Google form doc. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, nice. Yeah. I think that's a good conclusion. I like know the yeah, origin. Yeah, I think it's really good. KTO. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you do your own, so you have your own branded merchandise, don't you? But you also supply other goods that meet your standard in terms of the Yeah, so for the first, like, year and a half, um, I started uh, with a really amazing um, business partner called Laura. Um, so we designed the product and made it. Um, and then she left the business, I think it was, like, a year in. Um, and then I carried on and... Um, yeah, just I think this was maybe like two years into it. Um, we wanted to do a pop up shop and basically couldn't afford the shop, so I was like trying to think of creative ways mm -hmm. to get this pop up shop going. And um, we found a space and basically offered loads of other ethical brands to come into the space, um, and they paid like a commission and all rent. Um, and as a result, it meant that the shop was like 
a lot more people there. Like yeah. it was a lot more collaboration. Nice um, move. And loads of customers, like a ridiculous amount, were like, where can I buy all this stuff? And I was like, oh, you can't. It's just here for like three weeks. Yeah. And then I was like, why can't you? And I was kind of thinking a lot about like, because there are other ethical platforms out there, but they're quite tailored to a very specific customer. Mm. Um, and a lot of them aren't focused on like affordability or accessibility. They're often like multi-brand platforms that target like yummy mummies. Mm-hmm. Um, and the product on there is two or three hundred pounds. Um, so I think I wanted to just bring together like this new wave of brands that are super accessible, really nice, um, and don't look gross. Um, so yeah, I started building that. So we still sell our own label, KTO, um, which is fair trade and organic fashion, but that sells on the wider platform of Know the Origin. Um, so at the moment I think we have about 120 brands on there. Um, and then we've just raised our seed round. So the plan is like from January that should hopefully next year grow to about a thousand brands. So Wow. Wow. You're gonna be you're gonna rep you're gonna sell merchandise from a thousand brands. Yeah. Via the website. The plan. Yeah. Wow. So in terms of logistics, is that gonna be your challenge or is it sort of your portal or how's that? What's the model for that? Um, so basically, we have looked at a few different models. Um, we looked at originally a lot of platforms do it via the dropshipping platform. Mm-hmm. So when you order, the brands will like directly uh, fulfill that. So if you order from a few brands, you'll receive three or four different packages. Yeah. Um, I think for me, for ethical to actually become mainstream, it needs to be as good. And then the ethical is like an added extra. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think in order for that to happen, you need to have next day delivery. It needs to be like quick, all together. You don't pay taxes on the product. A lot of the ethical brands we sell are international. So if you order, say, from one of our companies that we sell, like Hara the Label, they're like bamboo underwear made in Australia, um, you'll often pay like £28 for the bra and then you'll pay the same again in import tax. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Um, a- so by us holding all of the stock we basically mean you can get it next day delivery you don't have to pay mm-hmm. any import taxes gotcha. um and so we hold all of the stock wow um and my dad at the moment packs all of the orders and Go he, on, is, dad. Um, he is amazing like one of the most servant-hearted like gentle patient guys um so he we're building like a little warehouse um in manchester yeah. um so we'll hold it there and then i don't know what will happen like maybe it'll get to a size where we uh, like mm-hmm. kind of use another company to like do all of that to, um, but right now it's going to be Mark it's in-house. and Co. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's it. cool. Go on, Dad. Yeah, he's amazing. So are you technically your dad's boss? Uh, yes, you are. Part- yeah, we partner on stuff. <laughs> Diplomatic answer. Yeah. <laughs> I was in Bangladesh last week. What do you think, um, what's your opinion on how far we've changed in the last sort of six years since the Rana Plaza factory collapsed? Do you think there's signs of progress or, or have we not made nearly enough progress? What's your, what's your thinking? Uh, I'm overly optimistic. So I think there are signs of progress in terms of like consumer awareness. Um, I think there's more of that than ever has been before. Uh, I think a lot of of the like legislation and work that was done after Rana Plaza um, has been kind of undone now. Mm. Like it's gone back a little bit. Oh, really? Um, I think there's been acts like the Mon Slavery Act, which has been amazing. First step in like putting like a foot in the ground and saying like, this is something 
this is an issue that businesses need to look at. Um, but again, there's not really any accountability around there. Mm. Like a lot of companies can just use like a standard template and they can actually just put in a monthly like, hey, actually, we don't do anything. Like, yeah. And that's enough. Yeah. So, Isn't that um, bizarre? Yeah. Um, so I think that there is, as with anything, a long way to go. And I think especially uh, the issues that we're facing with like climate change, especially in a lot of the communities that I've visited in Bangladesh, are actually going to be underwater in the next 10 years. Wow. So there's people building amazing social charities and uh, all these kind of projects that help train people but actually they're going to be refugees and actually we need to address like the initial issue like the environment that mm. underpins every single social issue yeah, yeah. um no so, point rearranging furniture on the titanic right exactly um so yeah i think there's a lot there is a lot of work to do but that's why i, I just think you can't build a social company without looking at the environmental issues yeah. mm. like it's also tied together um so yeah do you think in terms of like fast fashion i watched a documentary on netflix did you we, what, the true cost the true cost yeah. yeah i thought it was brilliant uh, do you think we're becoming more socially aware um more conscientious in the way we are consumers we've got to be haven't we Slowly. Well, I think everything's growing. So um, that pool of people is definitely growing. But I think alongside that, you've got um, cheaper, faster, bigger organisations growing as well. So mm. um, I think I've noticed in the last year or so, just over a thousand ethical and social businesses start, um, wow. which is really exciting. And yeah. I think once that demand gets there and people actually have like available and convenient choices, then they will shop those. Because, I mean, if you have two T-shirts that are like an option, they're similar prices and one's been made in a way that people haven't been killed in the process most people would yeah. like not mm-hmm. pick that um so i think yeah convenience is a big part of that but then on the other hand i guess like boohoo primark like all these fast fashion retailers like pretty little thing are claiming their biggest years yet in sales yeah. um mm. so i think i do think the younger generation there's this gap between like values and action where at the moment we're all talking about it and we all sense that it's something that we want like sustainability like you it's cool to be kind Mm. type vibe like that's definitely getting bigger um but then yeah it's a lot easier isn't it to to not yeah have to shop your values Mm -hmm. um so i think also the ethical community is in quite a little bubble yeah everyone knows everyone everyone does everything together like um and I think all my friends are kind of running ethical stuff or like doing so I think I'm like everyone cares this yeah. is really cool yeah, yeah, and yeah. then I like that chat to smart. other people I'm like oh you didn't even know that like cotton was a plant out of the ground yeah, like yeah. True, true, there's an education yeah. side of it that needs to happen first so I think that's why we've like know the origin we're really building like in order to go outside of like the ethical sphere of customers like Mm -hmm. we're really building a lot into our business model where we do education stuff so Mm. we're looking at like creating basically like almost like a dinner party model of like uh plastic free shops where we can like give people education and resources that they can Mm. share and talk to people about Mm, the issues of fashion um we're looking at doing a lot more talks uh podcasts like all that kind of thing just to like share with people 
If um, you ever need guests for your podcast, I know a couple of great yeah. yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Talking about doing podcasts, I don't know about you, but it's absolutely freezing in here, isn't it? It is cold, yeah. <laughs> it's I, Christmas. I don't, yeah, Living maybe. in the fake snow. Yeah. Maybe it's, oh, yeah, please, mate. Uh, um, the producers uh, uh, who's listening in the sound engineer obviously was listening because he's yeah. now just run out to um, turn up the air conditioning. Uh, it's, it wasn't intentional. It's not thematic for our Christmas episode, but I, I'm beginning to look like... It Shiver might, yeah. violently. Get the hot chocolate. Got little, um, hairs on my arm are all standing up. Charlotte, what's your, what's your favourite Christmas film? Uh, love actually. Oh, good answer. I lo- like every. I've. I'm not gonna lie. Like I started playing Mariah Carey last week. I started playing oh, the no. first like two seconds of the song, <laughs> and then I was like, oh, this feels wrong, and like, oh, I'm not ready for this. So I started with a Love Actually, and we put our Christmas tree up because we've just at the moment I've just moved to London for the month for okay. this pop up that we're doing. Welcome. Um and. So I bought a Christmas tree because I, I just like, we have this thing the last few years where we've done pop-ups over December and you come out of the pop-up and it's Christmas Eve and you've like missed all of the mm. festive oh, yeah. vibes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, no, this year we're going to do it differently. Like we're going to enjoy Christmas. So watch Love Actually and like nothing, I cry every time. I think I've seen, <laughs> like I've seen that film maybe like 15, 20 times and I'm still like, oh. What bit great. do you cry at? Just all of it, the whole oh. way through. <laughs> um, I don't know. Do you know what? It's, it's a bit where they all hug at the airport. Mm. And I just think, oh, humanity's great. Yeah. It's so oh, nice yeah. when everyone's happy and smiley and, like, loving towards each other. Yeah, nice. <laughs> um, I mean, you've got to dwell on those sort of things at Christmas, right? Yeah, yeah. definitely. What about you, Hopi? Uh, my favourite Christmas film, without a doubt, is Alf. Oh, nice. I actually love that film. Elves scare me so much. It scared you? Yeah, I couldn't watch it all. I had to switch it off. What? What, what? what did you think? Just like scary? the hats. <laughs> I just really, like, they really freak me out. I don't the know pointy why. hats? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, um, I love Elf. I think it's so funny. It's like, it's just so ridiculous. And I feel like... A lot of my character is quite similar to mm. Alf. Like when you said that, I was like, I would, that makes sense. I would absolutely love to spend a day just being him. You know when he's, like, jumping across the road on the, the zebra crossing, <laughs> like, hopping across? That's so me. Like, I would love to do that. And, like, going in the revolving doors and just running round and round and round. I think a day in the life of Alf, just to be, like, completely carefree like that, oh, my gosh, that would be the dream. <laughs> <laughs> Watch out, London. Cool. <laughs> What's yours? Oh, gosh. Um, Please say the holiday. I kind of do Ooh. like the holiday, yeah. I feel like top That's a good three, that always. Is it, would it be wrong to say that it's not perhaps the manliest choice of Christmas films, if that if I could engender it in some way? But why does it need yeah. to be manly? Um, well, it's very, it's, ve- it's very, like, it's completely unreal yeah <laughs> also my parents way. just visited like where it was filmed yeah and um oh, my dad man, said that yeah. the the little cottage in it yeah. they just mm-hmm. built it for the film and then it was knocked down yeah and then there's a little plaque where it was but yeah same and i was like <laughs> it's, it's actually Dream really far away you don't want to live there oh, really? <laughs> i don't know um, i kind of feel like die hard I'm obviously being bang out of order. I think here. you People have this be... like absolute outrageous idea of like what masculinity outrageous! is. Outrageous! Yeah. But well, I do. It is like there's nothing more manly than like being emotional and being yes. vulnerable mm. and like 
no, like and being okay and secure in that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm outnumbered here. You are. <laughs> Rightfully so. So your favourite Christmas like movie is The Holiday, we've decided, yeah, yeah. and there's nothing wrong with and that. And I sob all the way through it. <laughs> Can I get back to um, this issue of affordability? Yeah. For both mm-hmm. of us, for all of us. Is it too much to ask people when they look at the price of, even if you make a real concerted effort to make it competitive, mm-hmm. is it fair to, to expect them to, to pay that extra potentially, what, 20 25% on like the cheaper brands or sometimes a bit more? Do you think what do you think both of you? A hundred percent, yes. I think that we have like as a society, I think Charlotte touched on this before, it's like we've really it's I think it's called like fetishism, where it's like you completely dis distance yourself from the people involved in making your product. And so Was that fetishism? It's I studied it at uni, I think that's what it's called. <laughs> okay. We I, all laughed at I trust you. <laughs> but um yeah, where we I've, I've lost my thought now. <laughs> I shouldn't have interjected. <laughs> Apologise. Um, well, we should we should take some sort of responsibility to pay a bit yeah, more. Yeah, because fair? like because we need to remember that there is people involved in the products that we're making, and that um I mean all of us are running business. We're not we're not ballers. Like I don't take <laughs> home a big paycheck at the end of the day. Like yeah. um most of the Charlotte did turn up expense, here in a Rolls Royce though. Oh, yeah, that's true. I did not. And she texts text us in advance to say, hey, I by the way... I walked down I, the road. I'm arriving, I'm arriving soon, so we'd be outside to, to open yeah, the door. Yeah, to welcome her. red carpet. <laughs> um, I was speaking to my dad yesterday, and he, he made a, a sort of fairly classic comment. was, oh, at the end of the day, it's just money. And, and the, you know, that's quite a typical thing, and I, and I can I can get the sentiment of it. Mm-hmm. But is that not just a comment only made by people who have money? Yeah. Mm. Only made by people who aren't going to sleep rough yeah. and don't know this, the, the agonising yeah. pain of an empty belly. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and I think, where is the connection between, like you said, Charlotte, how do we make this the new normal? Yeah. I was looking, um, I think I was looking at your website, it was a couple of tops and, or shirts or something, like a nice Oxford blue shirt or something. It's like 60 quid or something. I thought, well, I could probably get that somewhere else for 30 quid. Mm. But that's the problem, isn't it? It's like, well, actually, once upon a time, before Mm. the fast fashion sort of generation um, has had its impact where we are now, really, um, once upon a time, you didn't buy a shirt three times a month. Or, Mm -mm. you know, you didn't go in and come out with bags full of clothes Mm -hmm. that would get worn once, maybe, and then sit there on the shelf for, like, a year or two Mm -hmm. and never get touched again. You'd have your shirt. You'd have your Sunday best. You'd have clothes for occasions. So it would cost that. Yeah, That's what's hard is, like, you can't almost go back from that. Like, once you've had something, it's very hard to then have something that feels lesser than that. Mm -hmm. Like, having the option to get something new all the time, like, feeds this insatiable, like, need for, like, consuming. And um, I think it's going to be very difficult to do that like we have a lot of kind of diehard ethical followers or um customers that are like oh well you're still selling stuff and I'm like I know we are selling stuff but Mm -hmm. it's made properly and it's growing sustainable supply chains and it does cost more to do that and I think it's really difficult because I think at the moment it's almost being put a lot like the majority of the pressure is being put on the consumer to like make the effort to find sustainable brands and invest in them and make Mm. the compromise of paying more. Whereas actually the businesses that are operating under mass scale, turning over billions a year, like should 
like there should yeah. be more of an equal pressure on them mm-hmm. to like change and um transform their supply chains yeah um i think that's why i guess with like our business model like we try and invest like proceeds and profits from products into supporting like independent trade unions um so something that i feel really passionate about is actually when people are told about their rights and know that they don't have to work seven Mm. days a week in a factory earning pennies an hour um that actually they can unionize and transform like something that Mm. is really broken into something that is amazing um so I guess it needs to come from all angles it needs to come from the brand from the consumer um yeah and from the people was that that, <laughs> that was a stomach rumble. That wasn't a stomach rumble. <laughs> that was. Incredibly sensitive microphones. Yeah. <laughs> You're all going to hear that. Enjoy. <laughs> I think it was promising, and I like to always seize upon the hope things of not. It just becomes quite, can be quite gloomy. Yeah. Um, but there was a big, big move in the Financial Times and the newspaper this year about profit with purpose. Lionel, mm. Lionel Barber, the, um, I think the chief editor of the Financial Times, sort of wrote a big piece on the fact that actually we got to start calling businesses out. Mm. M- making a profit isn't something to let's not demonise people being profitable. Yeah. No. But let's just make profit with purpose. You know, what mm-hmm. is the purpose beyond just paying huge salaries? Mm-hmm. Let's try and build a pressure on on big business. Maybe even our tiny little enterprises in the grand scheme of things, when compared to the big companies, we we can at least provide a great example. Mm. And I think, like you said, the great news about all the different ethical businesses that are that are opening mm. opening their doors, it should influence big business, shouldn't it? So, well, actually, what are you doing? This is mm. what we're doing. I think it definitely does. Like, I think we run a lot of events and panels on like sustainability, and we get a lot of people from uh, directors or head of buying and buying teams of like high street retailers who are saying it is small brands that put this on the map so that we can never go back to a conversation where we don't talk about this Mm. um all of the high street retailers know that ethics and sustainability is coming and the more brands that make it kind of available will mean that it has to be like it'll Mm -hmm. have to be a given at some point in the high street um so i think at the moment there's a lot of it's not, I don't necessarily think, I think some brands have designed their supply chain deliberately in a way where they're building factories outside refugee camps because they're going to where people are most vulnerable to get the lowest price possible. Oh, wow. Um, wow. But I think the majority of brands, like when you talk to people that operate within those brands, the system is so complicated and they've literally they're just doing one tiny section that they almost don't look up to realise all those hundred jobs have resulted in this, like, this person being pressured or not being Mm. paid. And, like, it's almost people are starting to question things a lot within Mm. businesses. And Mm. I think often we we have to be really careful about how we talk about sustainability because it does... It can be quite negative towards brands on the high street, mm. especially. And I think often within those brands, there are hundreds of people that want, like, want to do things differently yeah, and are absolutely. pushing yeah. and campaigning for that. And um, I, yeah, I think it's a really good thing. We often get asked about things like H and M conscious, and mm. do we think you know it's a good thing that they're they have like an ethical line and I'm like, but they're bringing it to the masses in a way that small yeah. brands can't. And mm-hmm. and I know that they're always watching small ethical brands and are inspired yeah. by what 
we do and what we're pushing and we're helping them to push forwards mm. um, with the standards that we create. So I definitely think all good work is good. I think there needs to be yeah. more that's done, but it's it's a slow process, isn't it, to undo an industry that's been built over mm. hundreds of years. Yeah. We had Justine Carell on the podcast um, towards the start, and she's a director of... Uh, one of the directors at Unseen, which is an oh, anti-human yeah. trafficking project. So you're sort of your part of the country, isn't it? It's sort of Bristol-based, yeah. mm-hmm. isn't it? Far away from you. And she talks about working with businesses and uh, sort of increasing, taking the Modern Day Slavery Act. And one of the requirements is, like you mentioned earlier, to have a statement on your website that says, what are you doing about slavery in your supply chain? And you can actually say, I'm doing nothing. And, and you comply mm-hmm. with this piece of legislation. But the idea is mm. you're going to start to engage with this issue and try and to, to mm-hmm. look into where you get your product from. But she very fairly says, we don't like to do name and shame. Uh, and point out the bad guys and point a stinky finger at them and say, look at these guys, these are the baddies. We like to do name and fame. So we work with businesses and when they're just really exhibiting a sign of, you know, a positive effort to make change, go, hey, look at these guys, aren't they? Yeah. Uh, do, you, do you agree? And, and do you think there are businesses in fashion and in coffee um, that are doing the same that we can, like I think of Starbucks or, or mm-hmm. Costa or the big ones, are they doing enough? Should we should we go easy on them or, or, or what? I think it's like no one's behaviour ever changes by being told they're doing a crap job. Yeah. Like, mm. it, so I think it does require like positivity and uh, like supporting and encouraging mm. where you see good work. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think there's a lot more that needs to be done and at a speed that I don't think we quite understand yet. Um I think there's a lot of incredible brands out there that are really pushing forwards. Like I love um, brands like Patagonia. Um, oh yeah, mm-hmm. amazing books on like really just giving brands resources and like people resources on how to do it. Like sharing information. Um, I think that's really amazing. Any good books to recommend or? Um. So he does like he did he wrote like a pack of three books. Who's this? Um. Uh, the guy who started Patagonia. Right. Whose name um, have you forgotten? His name is Yvonne Chanel. No idea. Um, I have <laughs> it in my bag. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you Google it, one of his books is Let My People Go Surfing. Um, and huh. it's all about building a culture within your company that um, basically doesn't control people but mm-hmm. lets them do what they want to do. And um, it's, re- it's a really interesting book. Um and yeah, he's written kind of another that's like a toolkit on how to start an ethical business. So like all mm. the things you need to think of, like environmentally. Um, so that's really that's cool. cool. Um, in terms of coffee, uh, I think one thing that's been really interesting for me is like recently McDonald's um, put out an advert that was like, um, we could pour pretty patterns in our coffee and charge more for it, but we don't. And um, uh, there was this huge kind of backlash um, against McDonald's, like, and they created these posters, like, on Instagram and stuff saying, like, you could pay your farmers properly, but you don't. And um, I actually thought that was really unfair because I've done a lot of research into McDonald's and, like, they're actually really, really good at supporting farmers and, like, they've got loads of sustainability um, reports that you can read and, like... 
obviously you can like sustainably wash something and make it sound good when you're actually not doing much. But in terms of like big retailers for coffee, I have to say McDonald's actually is doing really, really well in terms of like buying coffee like sustainably and making sure that people are paid properly and things like that. So in terms of ethical coffee on the high street, I hate to say it, but McDonald's is probably one of the better ones. Yeah, that's and, a surprise. And the um the the advert should have really said, um the reason that the coffee is so cheap is because it's on a sheer volume scale that we would never be able to compete with. Yeah, that's another thing. Like for us small brands, we have overheads to pay. We have like um so much like. When I buy coffee from a coffee farmer, I can only buy like a few like a few sacks at a time, like maybe thirty sacks to fifty sacks from a coffee farmer. But the McDonald's buys like tons and tons and tons and tons and tons, and then they throw it in a roaster that roasts tons at a time, and so their overheads are so significantly less just in terms of the bills they've got to pay, the amount they can do at once compared to me who's like a small roaster in Wales we've got to pay the rent on our um unit and we've got to pay like for literally bottles of gas out mm. the back and pay for hourly like we can't we can roast maybe like 30 kilos an hour whereas McDonald's roasts tons in a minute yeah. like so just thinking about the scale of things for their coffee the reason that it's cheaper is not necessarily yeah, that they're exploiting people, mm. but it's just sheer volume difference. So what if I'm not massively queued up on, on it and I want to buy myself a bag of coffee mm-hmm. or I you know, I operate a business or my job at that and the office is buying the, the office mm-hmm. coffee and we want to be ethical. We want to be, we want to be you know, aware of these issues and, and, mm-hmm. and engaging with these issues. So what, what should I look out for? Now, the, there are things like the Fair Trade Certification mm-hmm. or Rainforest Alliance, but there are also issues with those certifications because yeah. they come at a cost. But what are the things, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm thinking about maybe a quick description of the difference between blends and single origin and you know, what are the sort, of, the sort of things that might help somebody buy a coffee, like basics that might give them more of a clue that it's an ethically sourced coffee than just like consumer coffee bought in a warehouse someone mm-hmm. on, on the tonne. <clears throat> Sorry, my I had something stuck in my throat. Lovely. Um, I think some things to look out for is like, for example, I've got our packaging here, which is our um, little Christmas special. Nice. But, and you brought um, one for me and, and Charlotte. Yeah, so I bought one. I didn't know whether we wanted whole bean or Christmas ground. Special. Yay! So that's whole bean. Perfect. But um, so this one, for example, it's got on Thank it like. Um, I've put the importer on there, Cal's Coffee, so you can... I know Cal. He's such a legend. From Brazil. Shout out to Cal from Brazil. Lovely he is guy. such a babe, if he's listening. <laughs> we love you. But he basically imports the coffee. It's this farm, Fazenda Bom Jesus, which is a great name, by the way, but it's yeah. actually his auntie's coffee farm. So it's like family coffee that yeah. he's importing into the UK. Fazenda means farm in um, Brazilian. Yeah, it? and I think Bom is good. So it's like the good farm of Jesus good Jesus. Farm. I like that. So, um, classic Christmas one. Yeah. Jesus' birthday. Amen. Let's buy his coffee. So, chocolate um, <laughs> spices and tangerine. Yeah, very Christmassy. Yeah, yeah, Christmas yeah. vibes. Perfect. Um, but so when you're buying a coffee, if you can see where the farm has yes. come from, good point. That's really important, and asking about yeah, 
not just asking where does the coffee come from, oh, Brazil, yeah. but like the, the roaster should know the farm that it's coming from and have some information. Even if they get that from the general importer, it's like, if it's traceable, you should at least be able to say what part of yeah. Brazil it comes from or what farm and have some information about that. And then I guess the rest of it's just like down to taste or what you would like, like dark roast or ground I think holding. certifications like are a really good part of like being able to quickly tell if a product mm. is sustainable in a sense that at least that business has had some kind of third party yeah. audit, mm-hmm. um, some kind of accountability in their supply chain and also that costs the brand to do that. So yeah. a huge amount of time and uh money as mm-hmm. well yeah. on every product like we're our own label is fair trade certified and got certified and um yeah there's a huge amount of checks that go on behind the yeah. scenes and I know a lot of people say like oh fair trade there's a lot of issues blah 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 but fair trade has been phenomenal in changing a conversation yeah um, it put it on the map it did it before anybody mm-hmm. else was doing yeah. it and yeah. has transformed the lives of millions of people mm-hmm. around the world and um, I think in a lot of the communities, when you buy a fair trade product, there's a premium that is paid out to the people that have made that mm. product for building roads, schools, uh, whatever that community decides that they need mm-hmm. um, to be able to trade more freely and fairly. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, where possible, tend to buy certified product. Um, the other thing, so this coffee from Cal's Coffee is Rainforest Alliance certified, but I can't put the... Rainforest Alliance certification mm-hmm. on there because I have to pay a premium yeah. for that. So um, it's really like difficult for us as a super, super small business because we can't afford. We do buy like fair trade certified um, coffee as well through importers like Olam, um, but we can't put it on our packaging because we don't have cost, the... The administrative costs yeah. huge. Yeah, and there, I agree, Charlotte, with you, I think. The fair trade movement, what's been around since the 80s now, has done untold good. Mm. I mean, the principle itself is brilliant. So certainly in coffee. Ah, oh, Esther, you might know this one, but I think it's like a dollar twenty, might be a dollar thirty. The pound is like a fair trade minimum plus mm-hmm. a twenty cent premium. Um, whereas, like you said, like at the moment, what's the price at ninety cents? Or yeah. So, so if you're on the fair trade, you should be getting, you know, at least the minimum should be a sort of a living. Mm-hmm. In many cases, it's not. In many cases, you know, it doesn't really work for small hold coffee yeah. cooperatives because they're never going to have the money to afford the certification. Mm-hmm. The auditing process costs money, but also the auditors typically say we're going to be there on Monday, so yeah. there's really the supply chain. Guys, take Monday off. Yeah, you know, it's not it's not a panacea. It is not perfection, but it's something. I think yeah. it's yeah. The part is the beginning, isn't it? And then you build other things on top of that. Yeah, um, external audits. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of other things you can do. But so it's we do sort of via Clifton, our coffee roasters, direct trade, which is I think mm. is the same thing as you. So direct trade in its very nature is ter- <laughs> trading directly with the farmer to try and mm-hmm. cut out as many middlemen as possible and give them a fairest price and build a premium into that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's no like, there's no Gucci stamp we can put on the bag and say, no. oh, because that's not recognised. And mm-hmm. there's that, there's a reason for that. But yeah. another thing people can look out for is that type, that, that word yeah. direct trade or relationship coffee. They're mm-hmm. good things, aren't they? Yeah. Yes. I want to ask you, um, I want to ask you a few more things about 
just very, very briefly before mm-hmm. we sort of close, and I'm, before we close, I've got a Christmas quiz for you. Um, uh, about Q grading. So, are you doing this Q? Because I think I saw it on your social oh, media. Oh yeah. So, um, what is that? How how does one become a Q grader? So this is like this is my co- proper is, coffee nerd stuff. Yeah, my it? life is a bit of a joke, really. I just um, kind of roll with the punches and just get on with stuff and so what do you um, mean what do you mean like um what as i explain you'll understand but i'm very like all in or all out kind of person yes so when i started when um we've done this coffee business i have gone and tried to get as much information and knowledge about coffee as possible so i've um i'm trained as a ast which is a certified trainer with the specialty coffee association cool and I've done all kinds of courses in like roasting coffee, brewing coffee, sensory skills and um, yeah, barista skills. And I've got like qualifications to train in those as well. Okay, so um, you've got a qualification for, so is it like based on your latte art? Like I've got a grade A latte art certificate on my wall. Um, so, yeah, kind of like it involves stuff like that and like extraction <laughs> of coffee. And it's like really scientific, actually. Yeah. Like You can understand why people get so into it mm. is because it's like um, you basically should wear a lab coat when you're doing these yeah, kind of stuff. Spectacles. But um, in terms of the Q grading, so I was actually having like a really, really busy week. It was in um, September. I was I just come back from a week off. Oh, my gosh, a week off. Who? Who knew that was possible? <laughs> and it was my first week off of the year. And then the roastery is kind of chaos. And I had Bristol Coffee Festival at the end of the week. And I got a phone call from my friend Emma, who works at London School of Coffee. And she was like, Esther, someone's just dropped out of this Q grading course next week. Um, do you want the space? Is um, And I was like, uh, uh, because... Um, there's so much hype around the Q grading course. It's like that is the ultimate qualification yeah. that every coffee connoisseur wants. Is like, there only like 200 Q graders in the UK? Or yeah, there's or? there's not it's many. Not a lot, yeah. And so um, I was like, um, okay, yeah, I'll I'll figure it out. I'll find some way to do it. And people prepare for months for this course, and it's like really extensive. And I just kind of thought, I'll just I'll just go along, and I'll. There's no way I'm going to pass. So I'll just go along and I'll um, give it my best and I'll just try and learn as much as I can. Like, And I took my notebook. I literally filled a whole notebook with notes about every single day. So you go to the course. It's a six-day course. And you start off with just like a general introduction to like coffee processing and things. And the guy that did it, he was flown in from America and he's called Rocky Rhodes, which I his think His name is, is Rocky Rhodes. Hilarious. <laughs> and his daughter is called Tulane Rhodes. And his what? son is called Dane Juris Rhodes. Oh, what a what an he eccentric is, bunch. He is hilarious. But and anyway, so he's like this coffee god. <laughs> And he's written so many books and um, he was, yeah, so it was just a privilege to be taught by him, to be honest. And you go through everything and um, you learn how to certify coffee, basically, to grade it. So there's a grading system in coffee where it's graded out of 100 based on um, things like flavour, the body of the coffee. Oh. The mouthfeel, mouth that kind of thing, like or the sweetness, the uniformity. And um, the idea really is to give a 
universal language to talk about coffee. And so, because a lot of farmers have been for a long time, had people coming to buy their coffee and say, your coffee is absolutely disgusting. Um, we only want to pay pennies for it. And so these farmers have no way of like... Um, so proving otherwise. Proving or yeah. having a scale to say, actually, no, our coffee tastes really good. There was no... Yeah. Um, what's the what's the right word for that grading it, yeah like no grading system no um pro, like points to reach benchmarking benchmarks that's the one there nice, was no benchmarks for like how they could sell their coffee or what what it was worth so um yeah in this in this um so people would sell their coffee for super super cheap and then these importers would then make so or um or these brokers would make so much money off the coffee because they would then come back to Europe and sell it as this high, high premium coffee that tastes amazing. And so there's actually stories of like coffee farmers going online and Googling their coffee and finding out that it's being sold as like this super luxury, huh. like 15 pounds for 250 grams. Wow. Whereas they were literally sold, they sold it to the broker for like pennies because they thought it was disgusting. And so it's kind of this grading system. They do it at origin as well. So they're teaching coffee farmers to be able to grade their own coffee as well so that they can have that empowerment and Super. say, no, I know how much my coffee's worth. So, um, yeah, this course is like um, trying to get everyone on the same level and trying to get you um, accustomed to the grade system and understanding what makes a coffee good or what makes a coffee not so good so training in defects and things like that so um and at the end of it there is 19 exams that you have to pass Oof. and you have to pass every single exam to get this course and some of them you can retake in the week and some of them you can't and so um mm. on the first day I was so, like I knew I wasn't going to pass so on the first <laughs> day I kind of went in <laughs> and I thought I'm just going to try and get as many under my belt as possible and then I'll retake the others in January and so the first the first so there's literally like a table that with just African coffees on it and there's for each coffee, there's five cups of coffee and you slurp them all and you grade them all. And sometimes they throw defects in there that you've got to be able to recognise. And I was going around this table and I'm like, I can't taste any defects, but there must be a defect on here somewhere. Yeah. And I'm going around and I'm slurping all this coffee. And I'm like, oh, I really... And I'm trying to read other people's faces. <laughs> I was totally <laughs> overthinking it. And I'm like, oh, people keep going back to that cup that must have a defect yeah. in it. And I'm tasting it, and I'm like, I can't taste any defect, <laughs> but there must be one somewhere. So I just marked that cup oh, because no. it was lower as defective, and I, like, graded the coffee accordingly. <laughs> based on other people's. Based on, like, other people's. <laughs> I totally didn't trust my gut or instinct and was just, like, panicking myself. Yeah. And then, um, so, I, so I graded that coffee as, like, a defective coffee. And then um, Rocky Rhodes sat me down afterwards, and he was like... Esther, um, we need to talk. And I was like, okay, I, I think I found a defect, but I don't actually think I did. He was like, you were hunting for unicorns. There wasn't anything wrong with the coffee. And I was like, oh, no. And then he was like, I'm going to have to fail you on this one because you could have ruined a farmer's livelihood. Like, wow. if you'd have said 
that coffee was defective in a real life situation and it wasn't wow like you would have ruined that that farmer wouldn't have been able to sell that crop that year yeah. or he would have had to sell it really cheap and he was like so um yeah i'm going like i hope you understand I'm going to have to fail you on it. And I was like, do you know what? Like, I totally deserved that. Like, (laughs) if I was going to ruin a farmer's livelihood, like, I don't think I should have passed either. But um, at the same time, it was frustrating because I knew there wasn't a defect. I was literally hunting around for one. And um, nobody else found one. So I was like, I should have just trusted my instinct. But then after that, you do all kinds of other exams. Like, you get a cup of like solutions and it's like salt sweet and bitter or no salt sweet and acidic all mixed together in a cup and you have to detect how much salt is in the thing how much sweetness and um whether there's any acidity on a scale of like one to three and it's all mixed in and so you have to really be able to understand like your taste buds and things like that um and I, because I'd failed the first, the very first exam, oh my gosh, it kind of took the pressure off of me. Yeah. So then I went through and I managed to pass the rest of them. So um, that was really, really good. Like, well, you I think, passed all of the other ones. Yeah, well, apart from one other African so triangulation. Amazing. And then I'll have to retake them in January and then hopefully I will not ruin a farmer's livelihood <laughs> and I will get the qualification. Yeah, so that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Well but done. honestly, I know this is like going to sound like an advertisement for Q grading now, but if anyone's listening and they're interested in coffee, that it is hopefully so... lots of people. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is such an, it is such an overhyped like fear factor exam and process and people are like oh I'm not good enough to do the Q grading and I literally went in with no practice and no um thing and they teach you everything you need to know to take the exams in the course anyway but also it's just so fascinating to find out about the um processes of coffee in such an in-depth way the way it's grown how the different um environmental factors affect the flavor of the coffee and all these kind of things like it is the coffee nerd's dream week. Yeah. I think also you're probably not giving yourself enough credit in the sense of like you've worked in this industry and sphere for like years. And it's yeah. been something like when I first met you like five or six years ago, mm-hmm. like you, all you were talking about was how passionate you were about coffee. So <laughs> I think you probably know a lot more than you think, uh, you know. Agreed. Because even back then you were like... I don't know. I was like, wow, that's a lot. <laughs> Maybe that's a bit of like imposter syndrome that I yeah. have. Where Everyone you think, has that. Like, yeah. even when you make CEOs of like multi billion pound, yeah. like, they're still like, should I yeah. be? Here? One day someone's <laughs> going to find me yeah. out. Yeah. Um, I spoke at the Forbes um, like chief marketing officers conference and I was mm-hmm. so nervous because I was like, why am I speaking here when like all these people ha- like run huge organizations? Yeah. And um, loads of people came afterwards and I was like, oh, they were like, oh, well done. They were like, oh, I'm so nervous. And they were just like, well, we all have that like little person on our shoulder. Like no matter how old you are, what level of experience. He was like, I have like 10,000 employees and I still feel that way. And I was like, okay, great. That's good to know, isn't it? It's really reassuring. Christmas quiz time. Okay, Christmas quiz. I'm going to ask you three questions each. I've literally just looked up a Christmas quiz online whilst we've been sat here talking. So I'm going to Glad pick, you're well prepared. Uh, yeah, yeah, thoroughly prepared. I'm going to pick these questions at random. The winner gets a bag, a bag of blue bear. 
Oh, okay. okay. Charlotte, you're going down. So I actually am because I hate Christmas. <laughs> what? You can't <laughs> drop that in at the end of our Christmas special. No, I love Christmas. I just, I, I'm really bad at anything other than flag rounds on quizzes. But What's I'm gonna a flag round. You know where you have to like say what oh. the flag is from which country. Where it's like on a piece of paper. Yeah, I love that. Well, that's yeah, the yeah, only, yeah. Well, that's the only school. round I can help with on a quiz. Anything else, I'm out. Is right. that because you research? have a go flags i used to have a poster on my wall growing up oh, oh you memorized them lame nice Charlotte, anyway, back to the quiz <laughs> what's the name of the period leading up to christmas festive time ah <laughs> uh, yes the famous can we have like a bing time. bing uh what what do you press for getting it wrong then eh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. please don't make that noise yeah. to me. I'm gonna leave feeling sad about myself. I know, <laughs> like a weird niche about like ethical trade, but yeah. like anything else, I'm or like, flags. I'm out, boys. Yeah, ethical <laughs> trade or flags. So you, yeah. you or love actually. That's yeah. it. <clears throat> okay. So okay. the answer is Advent, of course. Oh, oh yeah. Advent. Do you have an Advent calendar? Um, no. Oh. Yeah, I you? need to. Uh, hopefully, otherwise my parents are going to be fired. <laughs> Esther, your question. Yes. How does good King Wenceslas like his pizzas? Um, warm. <laughs> With pepperoni? Close. Vegan? Deep, pan, crisp and even. Deep. Oh, that's good. Deep and crisp that and even. That wasn't good. Don't encourage him in this. So that okay, was... Sorry, I take it back. Awful. <clears throat> That's no. I mean, I'm nil. sure he did like pepperoni on it as well. Um, I just want to get one. Yeah, like that's all I want. Try and find some reasonable question here. They're quite, they're quite odd. Who brings, who brings presents to children in the Netherlands on the fifth and sixth of December? Charlotte. Okay, so don't overthink this. There's it, there's another word for Father Christmas, isn't there? It's not. It's, there's, lots of, uh, there's lots of words for something. Uh, I don't know. I'm not going to pretend. I Saint know. Nick. Yeah! So I didn't actually ask you that question, but you stole a point. I'm going to give you a steal. I'm going to give you a stolen point. Classic for that. Esther. I know. I bullying am, people. I, I, I am very good at okay. intimidating people. I literally you... just came here for bluebird coffee, so I'm going to be so sad if I don't get some. <laughs> in what decade? This is a chance for you to even up. Well, at least it's a difficult one, I think, for okay. you, Esther. In what decade was the first Christmas card sent in the UK? 1920. Um, no, much before that. 1840. Oh. Of course. <laughs> OK, so it's still 1-0. We're pulling in so you can I draw... wonder who came up with that. Who was like, do you know what? I'm going to write a letter or bid good wishes to my friend this Christmas time and then post it. And, and I'm sure thought... they probably did it before, but on, you know, yeah. other, other forms of media. Yeah. What, like, what, like slates? And slates? Slates, Yeah. <laughs> Charlotte, simple one. What? Don't say that and then ask a question because it might not be. <laughs> You're reading the answer, so of course it's simple. <laughs> All right, then maybe it's not. Let's just see how you find this one. I'm ready. What angel visited Mary? <laughs> I should know this. Come on, Gabriel. Yay! Yay! <laughs> one all. One Esther, all. Okay. can you finish it with this? Shall I pick a simple one or a tough one? Do you think, a really Charlotte? hard one. Yeah, because... go hard. Go hard or go home. You. Yeah. Um, okay. 
preferably one that doesn't have an They all now seem really win. quite simple, but you never know. Once again, I'm informing the question before I ask it. What? Where do Christmas trees come from? Where do they originate? The ground. You know, you can steal an answer. Seed. They grow out of a seed. No, but what country? Germinate. I'm literally only smiling because I'm happy she doesn't know. <laughs> Not because I know myself. <laughs> um, Finland. Iceland. Norway. Germany. Oh! oh! Sorry, I had to take your first Listing answer. European um, countries. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which was Finland, and that's a... <clears throat> so, uh, you won all, which means you both get Yay! a banner Okay, that is... Love that fairness. Yeah. I've got one that is here fair. from... I'm going to give... What is it? You have to describe it. I've got a bag. Um, we've started list. We've started selling some new coffees just this week. Oh so yeah, I've seen online. That's exciting. There's a Panama just, one, right? Do you want that one? Do you want the Panama one? I've got it here, and here's one from Ethiopia. Both amazing. Nice. I would talk in further detail oh. if it wasn't for the fact we're running out of time. I want to close on a high as ever. Charlotte, what gives you hope for the future of the things we've been discussing today? Ethical goods, fashion, uh, conscientious consumerism. <laughs> that was a big pause. <laughs> a lot of things give me hope. I think just seeing the amount of people talking about it. Um, I remember even, so this is like a really silly little thing, but when I was doing my dissertation, I had to literally fight my lecturer to let me do it on anything ethical. Mm -hmm. um, and I was probably the only one in my class that was doing something sustainable. Um, and now we literally receive hundreds of like people being like can you answer this dissertation thing and like mm -hmm. even at LCF like they say half the class is doing it on uh, wow. like a topic on sustainability so I think people that are coming through now do care more and I think um, it is so exciting to see yeah that passion like translate um, and yeah the amount of brands that are starting and the conversation on the high street with uh, people starting to do eco collections and celebrities yeah. talking about it more like I think it is going in the right direction um, so yeah, I feel really positive about it. Esther, what gives you hope? Um, I guess like in terms of modern slavery, just the fact that so many more people are now aware that it's going on mm. and that people are talking about it. Like one of the big parts of our brand is not only just like helping survivors of slavery, but raising awareness about it, which is I'm sure with Blue Bear as well. And the amount of people we've been able to come into contact with and tell them, like, they ask, oh, yeah, but that's only happening abroad. And I'm like, no, 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 like, here, right. in Cardiff, right. there is slavery going on. And mm -hmm. people are like, oh, well, actually, I did see something suspicious the other day. Mm. And, like, helping people to understand and be aware that it's going on. And hopefully that will then translate into ending slavery in some form, like... Or contributing to that so I think that's really good and then in terms of coffee I think most coffee brands now have got a, so much pressure on them to find out about who is growing their coffee yeah. and it's like becoming such a normal part of coffee to talk about cost of production yeah. at least maybe in the sphere that I'm in and hopefully that will extend then into commercial coffee and yeah. global domination Global domination! <laughs> what better place to end it? Merry Christmas to you both. Yes, and you. Thank you. Thanks so much for coming on the show. I am huge fans of you both, and you know that. I wish you all the very best for the new year. And bigger and better, greater things. Yes. Ethical global domination. Ethical global domination. Thank you.
So there you have it, our Christmas podcast special. They were great, weren't they? I think they're hearing how Esther and Charlotte have used their lives, their creative entrepreneurial verb, to make their businesses as honest, transparent and purposeful as possible is really encouraging, isn't it? I realise that buying fair trade products or ethical products is a luxury that some of us just can't afford. I get that. But the more of us that can afford to, we really should be trying to buy right. And doing so is only going to leverage more pressure on big business to make sustainable and ethical sourcing the new norm. We have the power. Maybe you can exercise some of that purchasing power this Christmas. I realise that was a long podcast, so I'm going to expedite the closing of this episode. I just want to thank Charlotte and Esther for coming to see us on the podcast. I want to thank Soho Radio for their ongoing support. This week, can I thank Heather, Chloe and Tara, who all gave generously to our Kickstarter fundraiser campaign to put on this podcast. Thank you, ladies. I'm very grateful. This podcast was produced by Blue Bear Coffee Co. If you want to find out more about us, head to our website at bluebearcoffee.com. If you want to find out more about our guests, you can head to manumitcoffee.co.uk or knowtheorigin.com. Leaves me nothing more than to wish you the very warmest of winters, the very merriest of Christmases and the happiest of New Year's. Hopefully I'll see you in the new year. We're going to take a break over Christmas. The next episode will be coming out the second half of January. So until then, all the best.